The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. Uh, I'm really excited to be with you all today. Today... I'm going to draw a little bit of connection to the fact that we have a one-size-fits-all, top-down, uh, controlled healthcare system, and the quality of our healthcare, the direction of our healthcare, is moving in the wrong direction to give us personalized, quality healthcare. I've been in this game almost 30 years, and the level of decline just in my lifetime has been staggering. And I'm based on the rate of decline that I've experienced in my career, I'm really worried about how much further we're going to fall while I'm still practicing. I'm doing my best to try and sound the alarm. And really what I'm trying to get people out there to understand is what is really happening with their healthcare system and why it is so important that you vote for candidates who will support a free market healthcare system. And it's not just when, when I first started thinking about the delivery system with healthcare, it's always been this conflict between government run socialized healthcare where it's a top down, uh, run system versus a free market healthcare system. This debate has been going on since, uh, the time of Plato. And when I first got into this, I really thought it was mostly just about the quality of the healthcare that we got. I felt that people who were proponents of socialized medicine just believed that it was a fair way to get most people health care. And uh, now I don't believe that. Now I, 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 it's my understanding, the way I see it, is that health care is a tool by the state to control the people. We can see it happening around the world that globalists uh, are trying to get control of the entire planet with a group of elites that they consider the smart people that make the decisions about how the rest of us live, and they're slowly taking away the rights of individuals to make their own decisions. And it's a scary time, and we can see there's resistance all over the world in in uh, the Netherlands. The government is trying to strangle the food supply, and the farmers are fighting back there. We saw the Brexit debates and, and the United Kingdom get out of the European Union in the last couple of years. And then in this, uh, in Canada, we saw the truckers that were trying to protest Justin Trudeau's government for their lockdowns associated with COVID. We saw Justin Trudeau, like a true police state totalitarian, seize the bank accounts of the truckers and anybody supporting the truckers to try and basically bankrupt their effort to protest the government. And in this country, we can see the... It's not even gradual anymore. We can just see the, the takeover of healthcare and... The last couple of years with the pandemic and the lockdowns and the mandates, we've seen how government can use medicine as a tool to to wield power and to compel citizens into behaviors that they want. And this is no way to live. One thing leads to another. We lose more and more of our freedoms, and eventually we're living in a communist totalitarian dictatorship and throughout human history we know how that ends so 
It's no small leap we talked about in order for a constitutional republic to descend into a communist nightmare. The government needs control of three things. They need control of the education system. They need control of the energy system. And they need control of the health care system. And we see that that's pretty much a done deal. Now, there are little pockets of resistance, but the tools that we still have available to us in this country are to vote. We got elections coming up in 2022 uh, and, again, a presidential election in 2024. And you've, you people have simply got to get out and vote. You've got to have these discussions about the facts surrounding the world that we live in and influence your your family, your friends, your neighbors to understand just what a precarious time this is. Now, we've talked about government control at a uh, at a high level. Local government, that's what our founding fathers wanted with this experiment that we call the United States of America, this constitutional republic that despite all of the misinformation that has been spread about this country, it's the greatest society in human history that has produced the greatest prosperity to the greatest number of citizens with the greatest freedoms. These freedoms and this prosperity has allowed us to be innovators uh, all across the board. And America is still a beacon of light. People from all over the world try to come into this country. We don't have many people that are trying to leave. Our health care system is one of the best in the world. I know when I, we started, it was a leader in the world. It was, it was the best in the world. But a lot has happened to diminish that. And I want to point out some things that are going on to help you guys understand how our healthcare system is deteriorating. And I think what happened over the last two years with the pandemic and the lockdowns was really educational to me to see just how totally controlled the system is and how very few independent thinkers there are out there. Now, when we think about government control, and, I, and it's important to talk about government control because the healthcare system is part of that. We want subsidiary government, meaning the government at the local level. The best way to have a government that's accountable to the people is to have it at the local level, meaning that the rules are made in a locality so that the people who are making those rules are close to their constituents so that voters can hold them accountable. And if they're making decisions that are not in the interest of the people living in that in that community, then they can vote their leaders out. But the further away these elected leaders get from the voters, the more difficult that is to be because the way Seattle runs its business is different than the way Atlanta runs its business, and it should. We have a different environment. We have different uh, peoples. Uh, we have uh, different climates. We have different everything. Our airports are different. The size and scope of our communities is different. And so the way Seattle runs their schools might not be the way that we should run our schools. Now, I have pointed out over the last few years about all the problems with our health care system, um, and I would call it the corruption. Now, we talk about governments, and I don't care if it's your HOA, where you live, your neighborhood, if it's your hospital, I don't care if it's your city, your state, your your federal government, or as we're seeing now, these global globalist governments, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. There is always crony capitalism, and that means that the power brokers will get with 
business people in the community and influencers in the community, and they will make rules that benefit a certain number of people in the business community that then support the politicians. And this, this basically, they make decisions that are not necessarily in our best interest. We see it now um, at the federal level, level with the teachers' unions. The teachers basically lobby the Congress for uh, rules and regulations that benefit the teachers' unions. And again, I'm not talking about teachers. Teachers out there are awesome. I'm not impugning them. You teachers are in the same boat that I'm in. I'm a doctor. I care about my people. I'm good at what I do, but I am being hamstrung by the bureaucracy of medicine and by the government of medicine, just as teachers, many teachers, are being controlled by the teachers' unions. But you get these teachers' unions that they go to the politicians. The politicians vote them tax money, money that we have, and then the teachers' unions take that money and they give it back to the politicians to keep them in office. And then the parents whose kids are getting the worst education imaginable have no seat at the table. And it's just this this uh, unending um, nightmare where we've descended into a situation where we now have boys using the girls' bathroom. Uh, we have boys competing in girls' sports. Uh, we have a situation where people are afraid to say that there are two genders, men and women, in public because they don't want to be canceled. Now, I went to medical school. And I just want to say first and foremost that when I was in medical school, I was taught that there are two genders, men and women. I still stick by that. Okay? That's me. The other thing I need to make very clear is everything I say on this show is my opinion. Uh, I, I do state facts on this show, but my opinions are my own and they don't represent anybody else that I work with or any entities, any hospital systems that I'm, I work with. I'm completely independent. My thoughts are my own. I'm trying to be honest with you folks about my experience in healthcare so that you guys can understand what is happening around us and we can make better decisions. Now, the, uh, we've been talking on this show a lot about how the government uses the control of science and the control of what we call experts to control and end the debate and force us into situations that we don't necessarily want to be in. And the end result is that at our point of care for each of us as individuals, we're seeing less and less options and having more and more difficulties with it. Um, I have patients that are now seeing me from all over the country. They can't get the care that they need in their states, and it's because the bureaucracy of medicine has taken hold. It's been decades of selecting out for a certain personality type to get into medicine that has created a significant number of doctors who are okay with this socialized system. And we as patients are bearing the brunt of it right now. And I know personally right now, my bro- I got on the phone with my brother last night and my mother is getting very old. She's, she's not doing very well in regard of her, to her health. And my brother called me and and he was uh, talking to me about the fact that she's not eating now. And uh, people at her age and her situation, when they stop eating, it's a difficult problem. And so we were talking about how do we handle this? What do we do next? And he wanted my advice. And I don't know. Um, you know, the end is a tough, is a tough, tough situation. I went through it with my dad. My dad passed with Parkinson's disease and... 
I felt blessed that I was a doctor, that I knew the system, and I could make sure that uh, my father's transition to the next world was was as peaceful as it could possibly be. I know not everybody has this power, but you know, my brother's asking me about going to the hospital, and we've now seen when you go to the hospital, they don't they don't address your needs; they sort of take over. Uh, they treat they treat the families as if uh, they're in the way almost. They have developed these systems with this hospitalist system so that you basically get shift workers that come in and anybody who's had a loved one in the hospital recently understands this, that you have these shift workers that come in and get the information about your loved one and they start working things up. And, you know, a lot of times I disagree with that. I have medical knowledge, so I see what they're doing and it's it's not always the most erudite way of doing things. And then there's their... their their shift will be over in a week and then a new team comes on and they start over at the beginning and there's no communication. It's almost as if, are you kidding me? You know, as a family member, I've been following, we worked this up, we worked that up, we did this test, we did that test, we've ruled this out, we're thinking about this and then the new person comes in and they go all the way back to the beginning. Tell me about, and it's like, what are you talking about? So, you know, bringing my mother to the hospital is, is, out of the question. So, you know, I told him I want to care for her at home, but what to do? So I know a good doctor to see would be a geriatrician, but it's very difficult to call a geriatrician and, and, and get an appointment in a reasonable amount of time that's going to help us. Now, we could go to my mother's primary care doctor, but my mother's primary care doctor that she had for a long period of time retired. And retired at a relatively young age because he's basically was just sick of the system, the bureaucracy that prevents him from being an independent thinker and from being a healer and turned him into a mindless bureaucrat. And so he quit. And the young person coming on is just unacceptable. Not a good person in terms of uh, bedside manner. Uh, in my opinion, not very erudite in the critical thinking skills about how to handle my mother's issues, you know, doing these long, drawn-out tests to decide if we're going to do some enormous surgery on my old, uh, sick mother is ridiculous. We're not doing any of those operations. We need we need op- options that are appropriate for my mother. She's not going to have these things. And it's when you, when you get in with the doctor, you, you, realize that you don't like them and you you want to get another one and it can't happen. That's the one you're assigned and that's the thing about medicine that has really gotten so out of control and to be honest with you it's not always the doctor's fault. If you try to be an independent thinker then you get punished and we just saw this during the lockdowns. We saw this with all the COVID stuff. We've talked about it at great length on this show about early treatment with COVID and the the uh, possibilities that were out there. And we saw, I showed it to you over and over again, all of the medical boards threatening discipline on, on uh, doctors who dared to, to try early treatments, perfectly logical, perfectly rooted in, um, perfectly rooted in science. Uh, we saw, Doctors that tried to discuss the pros and cons of the vaccines, and let's face it, as a matter of fact, 
There always has been and always will be pros and cons with vaccines. Nothing is 100% good and 100% bad in medicine. There are things that are pro and things that are con. And most of the time when we make medical decisions, we're making a risk assessment. And, for example, we know that our small children have very little risk from injury from COVID. And the vaccines have shown to have problems, specifically myocarditis in young people. It was published in JAMA. I know I can say that. It's published in the Journal of American Medical Association. There are papers out there on it. So I know people that don't like what I'm saying want to come at me and complain to me and complain to me to the medical board to get me to shut up. And all I'm saying is there are pros and cons to this. And it's getting harder and harder for doctors to say this. The doctors are becoming employed. We know starting out a very long time ago that the strategy was basically to slowly creep in the socialized medicine, and that would be Medicare, the old, and Medicaid, the poor, and then S-CHIP, the young. And so to the extent many decades ago that there was resistance to socialized medicine, the people who wanted socialized medicine played the long game. They got their the camel's nose under the tent by just trimming off the edges. So they got the elderly. And then they got the Medicaid because that is socialized medicine. That is government-run, top-down, one-size-fits-all health care. Then they got with the insurance companies to decrease reimbursement to doctors over the, over the decades, slowly driving them out of business because, generally speaking, even great doctors are not great businessmen, me included, I learned the hard way. My business degree came at a great expense to me and took a long period of time. But, you know, I, and I was very lucky. Uh, but a lot of doctors don't have that skill set. And so what happened was as doctors got to the point where they could no longer afford to run their businesses, they had to take employed positions at the hospitals. And we have talked about on this show that the hospital systems are <clears throat> political entities that are controlled by the left. The reimbursement to, for Medicare and Medicaid, which largely keeps these hospitals afloat, comes from politicians who vote tax dollars to be directed at these hospital systems for Medicare and Medicaid, always for the hospital, never for the provider, okay? So once that happened, you basically had Medicare um, running the show. And so now we have these people at the top of these agencies, um, the uh, C- the uh, Medicare director, the HHS director was uh, Director Walensky, and we've played her clip uh, on this show before saying that what the vaccines can no longer do is prevent transmission of the disease. Now, I thought we all had to have it because it blocked transmission, And then they changed and said, okay, no, it doesn't block transmission. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, wait a second. You just made me take an injection that I didn't want for myself, my opinion, based on my knowledge and experience. And you told me that I had to have it because it blocked transmission of the disease. And then after most of us have gotten the vaccine, then she comes out and she says, okay, never mind. It doesn't. And I mean, I'm going to, we're just, I learned how to, how to play these clips on the show. So we're going to start adding that. It's going to make it a better show. Um, I'm going to play that one next time. But my point being, 
we got this one size fits all top down control system of healthcare that's preventing independent thought among doctors. And no matter how many things that the, the leaders get wrong, we always have to defer to them on the next thing and we can't have this independent debate. And that is not how medicine was supposed to be. Now, the word doctor, I'm, I'm a doctor, Dr. Barber. The word doctor comes from the Latin word docere, D-O-C-E-R-E, which means to teach or scholar. So that's what a doctor is. We are a teacher of healthcare. That's why they call it an art of medicine. It's not just a science. There's an art to it. And the practice of medicine is how you get good at it. And by practicing medicine, you learn how to take care of problems that can't be taught to me. Experience is the greatest teacher in healthcare. And there's no way that some government bureaucrat can teach me the things that I need to know by simply practicing medicine. And in the past, the way we used to do this was kind of on an apprenticeship model where I would work with people who were older than me, more experienced. They would pass their wisdom down to me. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the knowledge of things that don't change. And that's why wise sayings are things that don't change. Things like the early bird gets the worm or tough times don't test your character. They reveal it. Um, all of these sayings embody wisdom. They're things that don't change over time. And sometimes we have to learn lessons the hard way in order to to realize these wise sayings have meaning because young people always want to say, oh, I'll, I'll make it work. Well, experience teaches you that most of the time in certain situations, you can't make it work. And that's why it takes time to accumulate wisdom. The other thing is when the bureaucracy tries to make a rule change up at the top, they're making a rule change that is affecting an infinite number of decisions downstream that they can't possibly know about. And so these decisions become very difficult. I've talked about the fact that this uh, study that turned out to be untrue, and after everything that's happened in the last few years, I don't know if the study was um, an honest mistake or something else, but this study on perioperative beta blockers that became this big deal at the hospitals where they would not allow us to do anything unless we address the perioperative beta blocker. Now, I could believe that the intentions of the hospitals were good, and so they put in our order set a hard stop if you didn't put the beta blockers in. And I talked about the fact that I would have my patients, I'd be operating, I have 10 cases in a day, I have to do the orders, and I come down to the beta blocker, and the beta blocker that my patient on is on is not on the formulary in the hospital. But I couldn't skip it. So I'd have to put in a beta blocker into the order set that was not my patient's medicine, get the order set done, then go back in and put a new order in to the nurse saying disregard the beta blocker that I ordered. So you can see how this bureaucracy creates these problems that add inefficiency to the healthcare system. It adds the potential for mistakes. And the biggest problem it does is it gets doctors to turn their brains off. Now, <clears throat> the there's a scary thing right now. It's, uh, you know, one of the things I like to talk about are the masks. Now, We've talked a lot about on this show how scientific studies are 
um, there's a, you don't do one study and then that one study answers the question for all time. All studies have bias in them and studies add to the overall body of information. And it's up to other scientists to read those studies and interpret them. And I may read a study and say, you know what, I don't think this is very good for a variety of reasons. The bias in it is too much. It's, you know, it's a, it's a study that says, that says the product is a great product, but the study was funded by the company who sells that product. That's a bias. When I was going through training, that was kind of almost a prohibitive bias that we almost threw those studies out and didn't count them at all. Now we don't seem to talk about it at all. And so, this, these using studies to try and get us to do things. It's the way the left is always citing experts. They'll say experts say we see Corinne Jean Pierre, who's the White House spokesman, talking about experts saying that this tax hike that they're going to put on us is not going to be affecting inflation. We saw how they gave us experts that said the Hunter Biden. Uh, Laptop was Russian disinformation. Turned out it's 100% true, but the experts told us that we weren't allowed to think any other way. The experts told us that the vaccine was effective and that if we take the vaccine, we couldn't get it. And they never seemed to lose their expert status based on any mistakes that they make. We just go on to the very next issue. They cite the experts and then all debate has ended, and we need to get away from this in medicine and in science. We were talking about the masks. The cloth and paper masks don't work for viruses. If I had have said this in 2018, no doctor would have disagreed with me. None, 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 none. None of these doctors would have disagreed with me. The politics got involved in these paper and masks that people use that are dirty, made out of anything, all this stuff. We've gone over this over and over again. You wear it to the table, you take it off, you eat your food, you put it back on to leave. We all know that doesn't do anything. And so most of the world has kind of given up on this canard. Not the hospital systems. Nope. When I go to the hospital, I just went recently, have to put a mask on. I brought it up to the administration at these hospitals. Can we at least discuss dropping the mask? And they said, absolutely not. The CDC says. The CDC says we have to do it. The experts. Okay. But I can cite you example after example after example where the CDC has been wrong. And yet we go on to the next thing and they said, and it's not even a debate. I can't even go to my administration and say, let's have an educated discussion about it. And you bring studies, I'll bring studies and let's at least debate it. No, absolutely not. The bureaucracy will not allow us to even discuss it. Now, the masks is kind of a small issue, but there are other issues, uh, early treatment and other things that are bigger. And when it comes down to my mom, I want to go to the hospital. I want to be educated by a doctor who knows something. And then I want to decide what to do with my mother uh, to get her better. Now, I feel like my mom is probably at the end and I don't know that there's anything we can do to get her better. I'm, I've been a doctor long enough to know that when older folks get to this point where they stop eating, uh, there's not really much you can do. And so Transitioning people is what families used to do. My job is to keep my mom comfortable, and I want her transition to the next life to be as peaceful as possible. But I know if she goes to the hospital, I know it's going to happen. She's going to go in there, and uh, she's not able to speak for herself. She's too frail, too weak. She's going to be confused. 
uh, she may start wandering, and so they're going to strap her into a bed. And then they, because she'll be quiet and strapped to a bed, they won't be able to look at her. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, if she soils herself, who knows how long that'll happen. This is every hospital on the planet. I know. I mean, I've been working them forever and it's not, I'm not impugning the people there. I'm saying that the system that is set up is not designed to handle this problem. And the one thing I learned with my father was, that is a very tough thing. I had the ability to get him a private sitter that would be with him 24-7. And I was there as much as I could be, and it still wasn't good enough. And I love my father. You get a person in there who doesn't love that person, that's tough to do. You know, they soil themselves. It's it's not easy. But in order for us to have the best possible situation, we need to have healthcare workers that help us as patients and help give us advice and guide us so that we can make decisions about how we want ourselves and our loved ones to be treated. And this is not happening in this top-down, one-size-fits-all uh, system. Now, you know, I talked about the way doctors have different opinions. You know, there are very few things in medicine or, you know, there I shouldn't say it that way. There are some things in medicine that are obvious, and every doctor is pretty much going to do it the same way. For example, if you break your hip and you're an older person, we fix that hip. Always. They're, they're, we don't do traction. We don't do casts. We don't, you know, we, it's surgery. And everybody pretty much agrees on that. It's a pretty standard thing. The data is clear. You operate, people do reasonably well. If you don't operate, everybody does poorly. So it's an easy decision. But then there are other things that are more nuanced. And as a sports medicine doctor, I see this all the time. You know, people get these injuries. They go to their primary care doctor or whatever and says you're out for the season. But if you go to a sports medicine doctor, you know, they say put this plastic thing on and you can play today. That happened to me with my finger. I broke this finger when I was a freshman in high school football. And I went to the first doctor and he said you're out for the season, which devastated me because I didn't know how to play football. And if I didn't get to play that year, then my football career in high school would have been over because I would have never learned how to play and I couldn't have played JV and varsity. And so my father recognized that I was so disappointed, and he took me to go see a sports medicine doctor who said, here, put this plastic thing on, and you can play today. And I just that's what got me into becoming a doctor. That right there was I like the way that second person thinks, more so than the way the first person thought. Um, I talked to you about my friend's neighbor who had a, an issue with a rotator cuff. They went to go see their doctor. They got an X-ray that showed something very common on an x-ray called a um, <laughs> an enchondroma. It's a benign cartilage growth. We see it all the time. And as an orthopedic surgeon, I see those every day. They're meaningless. They don't cause a big problem 99% of the time. Every now and then they're big and in the wrong spot. But mostly they're just there. They're not even worth mentioning. But because of the way that medicine has evolved with these we bring in, uh, rather than doctors, we're bringing in these physician extenders, PAs. And again, I'm not impugning PAs. They definitely have a role. And I have lots of PAs who are fantastic. But if you get them making certain decisions, you get the wrong decision. And this person got evaluated by a PA who didn't recognize this lesion as being a benign enchondroma and started a big process of sending this patient to Emory, to the cancer doctor, and this whole big production. And of course, because our system is messed up, took them forever to get in and uh, they eventually went and saw the cancer doctor who was like oh this is just an enchondroma no big deal so 
the patient spent like a year and a half terrified that they had some kind of cancer when it was nothing. And then at the end of the, all that, they still didn't get their shoulder attended to. And so somebody taught them about me. They reached out to me and I took care of it instantly. Um, we have this patient, uh, with, um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, can't get the treatment he needs in his state because he's getting stuck in the bureaucracy. A friend of a friend of a friend told him about me. He's flying out to see me to have him work him up. I already did it. He also needs a hip replacement and I'm doing it. Nobody else will do it. They're like, oh, you have Lou Gehrig's disease. You can't have a hip replacement. And I, he said that to me and I'm like, why not? You're not dying today. Do you want quality of life today? Yes. So we're doing a hip replacement on him. Um, it's critical thinking outside the box, experience, wisdom. It's the practice of medicine and we're losing it. And I'm seeing it all around me and it's terrifying me. We're going to go to break here. I'm going to be right back and we will continue this conversation. You're listening to the Dr. Scott Barber on the doctor's lounge. We'll be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. We were picking off talking about this uh, one-size-fits-all, top-down, government-run, socialized medicine system that we're descending into is in free fall, and that we need to make changes and make changes quickly in order to save not only medicine, but save the country and save our freedoms. Because the tools that the government needs to transition us from a constitutional republic to a communist country is control of education, control of the energy sector, and control of health care. And I would be able to make arguments that they are pretty close to controlling all of them right now. Um we were talking about the fact that in order to have quality health care, we need independent thought. You know, we talked about the concept of doctor comes from the Latin word docere, which means to teach or scholar. We understand the concept with teachers, the concept of tenure, whether or not tenure is effective. The concept behind tenure, I think, is legitimate, meaning 
in order for a teacher to feel comfortable that they have freedom of thought and an expression to teach, they are given tenure, meaning you can't be fired. Well, a doctor is a teacher too, and we seem to have completely lost that. Doctors were trying to share their information uh, over the last two years, over the lockdowns, over masks, over vaccines. And if opinions were not approved by the state, these doctors were threatened by the medical boards. We showed them um, over and over again, just about every medical board, threatening doctors, trying to demonstrate independent thought. And sadly, the things that people were getting threatened for have now turned out to be the truth. It was it was the government saying that the vaccines, if you got the vaccine, that you couldn't get you couldn't get the virus. And then that turned out to be not true. But the people like me who were saying, hey, listen, I don't know that the vaccines are going to be 100 percent effective and we ought to see if there are any negative impacts. We were censored and threatened and all that. Um the masks. People had questions about the masks, and now there's data out there, lots of studies out there. Of course, our medical system is not doing a very good job of sharing this information, but it's certainly out there that the masks, these these paper and cloth masks, are not effective at transmission, uh, and in fact may have some negative problems. There's lots of studies now talking about all the bacteria and things that are being caught up in these dirty masks, and we're not talking about that at all. Um, our healthcare system is making medical decisions that are questionable at best, questionable at best, and they're preventing people from having open discussion and thought about healthcare and it's got to go away. And, and they use the concept of experts to get their way. They, they don't want to debate the issues, the left. They want to say, well, experts say, and they do it on everything that they do, and they hilariously will always use experts that have amazing conflicts of interest. You know, my dad, uh, somebody uh, saying that Biden's new tax hike is not going to have a negative impact on inflation, and then you go and look at the experts that they cite in their former Biden officials. I mean, it's so ridiculous on the face of it, but it's like there's just no... There's no defense to this thing, and we need to start getting away with it. Now, I want to listen to something from the Surgeon General. Now, for those of you who might not know, the Surgeon General is not a doctor. I want to say she's a nurse, and she's was Richard Levine earlier in her life, and then she uh, transed into Admiral Rachel Levine. So she's the Surgeon General. She's an admiral, and uh, let's play clip number one about um oh sorry we didn't have that one all right so we're new with the clips and everything and i'm learning this so we weren't able to get that one up but i did write down what you said so you have admiral rachel levine who's the surgeon general who said and i quote there's nothing inherent with being transgender which would predispose youth to depression or anxiety they're suffering politically motivated attacks not based on data okay so this is the head of the Health and Human Services Department that we're not allowed to question because she's a so-called expert. She's the Surgeon General. She makes a statement, and that's the end of that. Now, I'm just going to say I have my own opinions here. First of all, I would like to say that the medical profession has done very little to help protect society against the notion that 
gender-affirming medical care involves castrating little boys and performing double mastectomies on little girls. This, to me, is evil. It's child abuse, and it's insane on top of it, and yet it's happening. And we've got the Surgeon General here who is making statements that people like me, if I want to go on and attack this on social media, I'll be... I'll be censored. I mean, I am censored. I My stuff has been censored for 10 years. And it's people like me are censored. I'm a doctor in good standing in the community with independent thought, and I'm involved. And the power brokers know that I do have influence, and people like me have influence, so they just shut me down. So when I post things on social media, I know it's not it's not seen. I can tell. Um, the... Uh, <clears throat> The, the facts of the matter are that 80% of children that suffer from gender disor- dysphoria eventually resolve, okay? We know that 70% of minors who identified uh, with gender dysphoria regretted it, okay? How much more do you think you would regret your gender dysphoria if you were castrated or had a double mastectomy? I mean, this kind of stuff is insane. We don't let ch- – just – as a matter of wisdom, right? Wisdom is the knowledge of things that don't change over time. That's what makes somebody wise. Little kids don't know anything. You know, they don't know anything about what they want to be when they grow up. I wanted to be a paleontologist, you know, when I was a kid. I wanted to be a pro soccer player, you know. I wanted uh <laughs> I wanted all sorts of things that I wasn't prepared to make judgments about because I was a kid. And I'm still, I'm living in this world. I'm not that old, but I remember a time when it was not controversial to suggest that little children were not capable of making huge decisions. That's why we have parental consent. So this idea that we're willing to, to uh, mutilate these children and call it gender affirming medicine, notice the benign terminology, gender affirming healthcare. They don't say castration and mastectomy, right? They say gender affirming healthcare. This is, this is insane. And there are, I'm wondering, where are my CDC? Where's my FDA? Where's my HHS? Where's my uh, CMS director? <clears throat> I mean, these are all government people, but where are the heads of my medical boards? Where's the head of uh, pediatrics or at least somebody offering an alternative view? I mean, this is not even something that is so obvious that a 100% of people would agree with it, there's got to at least be some people that disagree with this, and yet where do we hear about it? We don't. And it's because the government has this stranglehold on our health care, and that's evidence. Now, I've shared with you guys on this show many times that when I went to medical school, it took me five tries to get into medical school. I got accepted on my fifth try, and I remember when I got there, I thought to myself, these people are going to be the greatest people in human history. These are the best. And I mean, I'm honored to be among them. Well, what I found out was people in medical school are no different than people anywhere else. There's some good, some bad. There's good character people, bad character. They're just people. Just like when I get among pro athletes or anybody else. People are people. And my father used to say it to me all the same. People are people. There's good, there's bad. you got to judge each individual as an individual. And so... Um, it became clear to me as I was going through my training that in my opinion, I would probably wouldn't have let 60% 
of my class touch me or my family with a 10-foot pole. <clears throat> they have different aptitudes. You know, some of the worst cheating I ever saw in school was in medical school. We used to have a histology class, which was... Um, Histology is when you look at tissues on a slide and you look at what the cells look like and, you know, the kidney and the liver and, and all these things. They all have different histology. And it's part of medicine is you have to learn what the different cell types are and how to look at them under a microscope. And what would happen is when you would go to the histology lab, people would steal the slides so that if I go to the histology lab, I would never see those slides because they were stolen. So when I get on the test and I'm looking at a slide, I'm like, gosh, I've never seen that before. I would get it wrong. This is what people were doing to try and get a competitive advantage. One of the big things we used to do in medical school to try and get an advantage was to get old tests. So if you're in a, you know, anatomy class and you could get 10 years of old tests with questions, that's an advantage. Now there were some people who would get those tests and hoard them. They wouldn't share with other people. And then there was people like me who would get these tests. I would copy them and I would actually walk through the library and give them to everybody as in, I want to share this advantage that I'm getting. I want to share it with all of you too. Now, I knew I was in competition with these people. I knew I wasn't going to get into orthopedics if I didn't graduate at the top of my class, but I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be the type of person who hoarded the the tests, and so I shared them, even though I knew it was giving me a competitive disadvantage. And it wasn't just me. There were others. The point I'm trying to make is medical people are just people. There are some good, some bad. Just because you went to medical school doesn't mean you're amazing, which is why, as a patient, I don't want to get the doctor who's in front of me. I want to choose my doctor. Even if you give me a doctor that's good for me, that's a good doctor, knowledgeable, sometimes I don't like the personality of that person. And I know some patients don't like my personality, and they have every right to go and seek other treatment. But we don't have a system now that really fosters that. I've shared with you guys recently, I've had some famous people that all of you would know who've reached out to me needing cardiologists and other type doctors that they are were unable to get care. And these people are famous, powerful people who have my name in their phone book and they can just text me and then I have to work it out. My ability to get my family seen is difficult, but I at least know doctors and I, I can uh, have back channels. I'll tell you, um, I have a doctor and I was supposed to get some medication. I couldn't get it. I called the office every day for a week and they weren't giving me uh, my medicine. I finally had to call the back line as a doctor to doctor in order to get somebody to take care of me. It's not the doctor's fault. It's the way healthcare is set up that makes it impossible for us to run these offices appropriately and deliver customer care. And since the system doesn't really value customer service anymore, customer service is going by the wayside because customer service is difficult. Now, we keep talking about how these experts are in control of everything. Now, we were talking about the masks. So Florida was, I want to say, one of the first states to get the masks, uh, the mask mandates repealed. And they were able to go to court and uh, argue it. And then they came to Georgia. I was asked to be an expert against the masks by one of these attorneys. And, you know, I was basically sending him research paper showing that they don't work. And I was just, um, I was befuddled. Like, I don't understand why this is such a thing. The data is so overwhelming. Why can't you just go? And he was explaining to me how the system worked. 
the um, the uh, system is basically set up that we have experts, the CDC. So what happens is you go to the lower level courts, the 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 attorney who's arguing that they want to get rid of the mask mandates says they want to make a case, and then you have the lawyer for the state who says who cites the CDC. Well, the CDC says masks work, and then the judge, who tends to be a left-wing appointed judge, just says, okay, that's the end. The CDC says so. That's it. We're done. Masks are going to go on. And I'm like, well, then how do you win? And it's like, well, the strategy has been that when you go and get voted down in that court – that when you go to the appeals court, it's a higher court, those judges tend to be more reasonable because more of them were not appointed by left-wing activists. You know what I mean? Left-wing activist judges that they don't care about what the rules are. They just want a certain outcome. And so they make up stuff so that it comes out the way they want. We see it all the time. Roe v. Wade, for example, was was a classic example of activist judges trying to say something that didn't exist in the Constitution. And now you got the left is lying about what happened with Roe v. Wade, saying that it overturned uh, the right to an abortion, which it did not. All it did was put it back to the states, which is where it was before Roe, and and it did not ban abortion. So that's one of the things that bothers me. Where is the healthcare system out there clarifying these confusing medical issues. They're not there because they're all in lockstep with the government because the government is grabbing more and more control over the healthcare system. Now, these experts keep getting cited and then we have to live with them and the experts continue to be wrong. Now, I want to play, let's do cut number, um, let's do cut number one. Can you do it? Um, menstruating right, cycles is- and how that is affected by vaccines. Yeah, though, well, the menstrual thing uh, is is something that seems to be quite transient and, and temporary. That's the point. That's one of the points. We need to study it more. Okay, so what you heard there was Dr. Fauci saying that, uh, yeah, okay, so there's these complications from uh, the vaccine that, that uh, have to do with menstruation. It's a bit confusing. We're not really sure. we got to study more. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait a second. You told me, Dr. Fauci, that I had to take the vaccine and that if I suggested that there could be any negative connotations or ne- negative problems with the vaccine, I was spreading misinformation. Now he gets to come back and say, well, we need to study it more. No, 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 no. It's a little late for that. That was Dr. Fauci on, on, uh, Brett Baer, uh, on Fox News being interviewed. And, uh, we also had, uh, Dr. Burks. Um, I didn't get that to Brett to, to put on the show, but you have Dr. Burks. Uh, who basically was on, I want to say she was on Fox News or I think she was on with, um, um, one of the Fox News hosts, Neil, Neil Cavuto. And she basically was admitting that I knew that the vaccines were not going to be effective and that we perhaps overplayed the vaccine. Um, actually here, I, I have it down exactly. It was Deborah Burks. She was, she, now, listen, for those of you who don't know who Deborah Burks was, she was the former White House COVID response director. OK, so she was she was basically Fauci's 
you know, equivalent here. And her quote was, I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines. 50% of the people who died from the Omicron surge were older vaccinated. Now, wait, 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 wait. No, wait a second. I got to wrap my head around this because I was saying that this was possible and I was censored for spreading misinformation because the expert said, now you got the experts telling us, yeah, we lied. I mean, is that what she's saying? I knew the vaccines weren't going to work. So back when they were mandating that we had to get them, lose our jobs otherwise, uh, she's admitting I knew they didn't work, but yet mandated it. Folks, we got to get away from this one size fits all top down. The experts, the experts are in the pocket of the power brokers and they will say whatever they have to say, whether it's in your benefit or not. You know who gives you the best opportunity to give you truthful information? Your private doctor who is accountable to you. Your doctor that you have established a doctor-patient relationship whose sole focus is your care. Okay? That is not the system that we're moving towards, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, um, The Lancet just published an article. Vaccinated people are 80% more likely to become sick than the unvaccinated. What? Wait, what? I was told that I was spreading misinformation. And by the way, I never said anything definitive because I've been practicing medicine for a long time and I have wisdom, meaning I have the knowledge of things that don't change. And I know that in medicine, we rarely say never and we ne- rarely say always because there's always exceptions in medicine. And that's when I teach my medical students. I always say that you want to look for the the common, but always have in the back of your mind the uncommon. I always remember the field of dreams with Kevin Costner. It's one of my favorite scenes where the young Burt Lancaster, when he's young, he's going up to the plate. And and uh, I want to say Shoeless Joe Jackson is giving him some advice about the next pitch because the pitch he had just gotten almost took his head off. And so Shoeless Joe Jackson's telling the kid, listen, when you go up to the plate, he's not going to want to load the bases. And it was the last strike. So as you go out to the plate, don't look for him to throw it at you. You want to look for a pitch to hit because he's going to throw a strike because he's not going to want to load the bases. And so the kid's like, okay, good. I'm going to look for a pit. And as he's walking out to the plate, Shoeless Joe Jackson yells at him and goes, but what look out for in your ear, meaning it's probably going to be over the plate, but there's no he still could throw it at your head. You have to look out for the uncommon. And that's what a doctor does. Now, back in the day, you know, in 2020 and 2021, I was saying, listen, we don't know all the information about these vaccines, that there's a risk benefit analysis there. And anybody who said anything negative against the vaccine was censored and Medical professionals were threatened by the medical boards and by hospital systems and others for these opinions. And now you got Kenji Yamamoto, which is this researcher publishing in The Lancet, who's saying that the the research shows that elderly vaccinated people are 80 percent more likely to become sick than the unvaccinated. So if that is a study in The Lancet, and as I told you, no one study ends debate. It just adds to the body of information. Does that not at least suggest to you that it's something that we should talk about, right? 
Is it something that we should just explore? Is it something where patients could at least ask questions? Is it something where medical professions, professionals could at least ask questions? And if our healthcare system isn't broken, as I'm asserting that it is, where are the power brokers in healthcare protecting us? Spreading the information, correcting the record. Where are they? Where is the FDA? Where's the CDC? Where's HHS? Where's CMS? All the rest of them. Where are all the medical boards? I don't hear them. The news agents, the media, I don't hear them. This is me as somebody who has a vested interest in this in the sense that it's my profession, my job. I'm seeking this stuff out. I know how to find it, and I'm finding it. And believe me, it's not easy. They are doing, they, the power brokers, whatever, they're doing everything in their power to prevent us from getting this information. Now, we've got... We've got uh, Admiral Rachel Levine, who thinks that gender-affirming surgery is the way to go. We've got doctors nationwide, I know for a fact, that are terrified to comment on it because they don't want to get canceled, fired, or punished in any way. So there's sort of this emphasis by the medical industry, the medical big medicine to subject our children to to mutilating surgery to promote a political ideology of this transgender stuff um, where where is our healthcare system protecting us we got boys that are competing in girl sports I mean you don't have to really be a doctor to know that if you're a swimmer and you're a man and you have testosterone and you've grown and you have muscle mass and bone structure as a man, that taking a little bit of estrogen does not suddenly turn you into a woman and make it a fair fight. And where are the medical profession that are, are taking care of us? I know we're getting to the end of the show, but I do want to play um, the cut three, people with the capacity for pregnancy. I think that's really important. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Maskey, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? All right. Many women, cis right, women, well, we'll have just the get capacity it. We'll get it next time. Many cis women do not have the capacity yeah. for pregnancy. That's fine. Um, there are also trans men who are capable oh. of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a. Uh, we it's, can it's recognize. All right, I want you guys to think about what she said. That is a that is a law professor from UC Berkeley that is saying that asking questions about whether people who can have babies are women is uh, hate speech and creating violence. That's the state of our uh, intelligentsia right now. We're going to open it up the show next time with that. So it was great having you guys. We'll catch you next time on the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to us on America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.